Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Rhonda Goodman is an associate professor of nursing at the Lynn College of Nursing in Florida. I heard her speak about a program in which nursing students are brought to Guatemala for clinical rotations. It was a fascinating program, and I'd love to hear what was going on. So she kindly agreed to explain this program to us. Dr. Goodman, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Let's begin with a little bit of history, because it is. It's such an interesting and fascinating project. How did this program develop? What's the history? What was the impetus to start thinking about doing such a project? Actually, it began when I was in my doctoral study, and I had a mentor, Dr. Charlotte Berry, who asked me to go to Uganda with her, and we were teaching there briefly at a small university in Imbarara, the Imbarara University of Science and Technology. And I guess I just fell in love with the thought of teaching nurses in other countries. And this particular nursing school couldn't educate any more baccalaureate-prepared nurses because they didn't have a master-prepared or doctorally-prepared faculty. So we worked with the students and helped a group of one cohort of students earn their master's degree. So that made their BSN program sustainable. And I saw what a difference it made that they could continue educating RNs because Africa has the largest global burden of health disease in the world, but yet the smallest healthcare workforce. So this program being sustainable now, having a master's prepared faculty, and now some of them have gone on to earn their doctorate degrees. And then we also went to, with a group of school nurses at the time, to Cambodia and Thailand and did some wonderful volunteer work in an orphanage in Siem Reap, Cambodia. And I just fell in love with global health. And I, I became certified in international public health and tropical diseases. And so I really wanted to introduce my own nursing students to open their world up a little bit and get them out of the bubble and the four walls of academia and let them know that there's more out there than the primary care office or a acute care facility that we have. We are members of a global world. I started studying the millennial development goals now called the sustainable goals. That's where I had, the, I guess, got the fire lit in my belly in order to start a program so that I could open up these worlds of my students. That's great. About 10 or 15 years ago, I was fortunate enough to go to South Africa, and it was part of a physician group to look at how they were attending the HIV crisis. And when we talked privately to a lot of the South African doctors, we were told that the operative element in their work were the nurses, the nurses who would go out and talk to people, spend the time, educate them, deal with the medical issues. And if there wasn't money being spent on the nursing component of dealing with the HIV crisis, it was a moot point. It wasn't going to work. So I hear you. The nursing element is sadly, unfortunately, it's not given the credit. So I'm glad you got this spirit. Why did you pick Guatemala? Was there any particular reason for that country? Uh, It turns out to be logistics, actually. I thought about taking students back to Africa since I had the connections in Uganda, thought about taking them to Cambodia, even India, because I have some connections there, though I haven't worked there yet. My students quickly told me that none of them could afford the airfare to any of those places. Plus, it takes two days to get there, two days to get back. So one week, you're only going to have three days in country. So that wasn't cutting it. So I rented sight unseen, so I thought Central America would be better. Plus, I was the only caregiver for my mom at the time who was had Parkinson's, very, very advanced, and I needed to be somewhere I could be home in a day rather than two or three days if needed. 
So I rented a house, a farmhouse in Costa Rica, sight unseen. It was hysterical. It was an adventure, though. I stayed there for seven weeks, rode the chicken bus down to town from my mountain, where I, my little farmhouse was on a mountain, a coffee bean and sugar cane farm, and I was the only gringa on the mountain. So I rode the chicken bus down every day to Spanish class, and I quickly learned that a program would not work there because I really wanted a hands-on program for my nurse practitioner students. They, the poor farmer and 18 kids and grandkids and everybody in, in, up on the mountain, they had excellent access to health care, and they were in clinics and dental clinics every other day. Someone was going to the clinic. Plus, when you're not licensed in that country, you can't not touch patients. So I realized that wouldn't work. So actually, I just started Googling NGOs or non-governmental organizations in Central America, and I came across Nursing Heart. As an NGO that had just been started, the founder of it, Ron Naker, didn't really know where he was going. So I gave him a blind phone call and introduced myself and said, hey, why don't I come down and meet you and let's start bringing nurse practitioner students here. That is exactly how it happened. And it was close and the flight was affordable and only two hours and 10 minutes from Miami or Fort Lauderdale. So I went down and met him and we started planning for the trip, never really knowing if it would happen or not. We started with one week in 2012. Now I go eight to ten weeks a year. That's fantastic. How do you prepare your students for what they will encounter when they actually get down to Guatemala? I have an entire website on our learning management system. We use Canvas. We have our online courses on, and I have an entire Canvas site devoted to Guatemala trips, how to prepare for the trip, giving them a brief history of Guatemala, the social determinants of health, why indeed do our patients have little to no access to culturally appropriate or adequate care. We also have mandatory meetings in order to prepare, how to pack, what supplies to bring, what to expect. It's quite a culture difference. So I really prepare them a lot with a lot of instructive type emails and the information on the website. Do they go there to deliver clinical services, or are they part of a teaching component, or is there a mixture? It's a mix, actually. My nurse practitioner students, their trips are, we provide primary clinics. We go up into the mountains, and our patients are all indigenous Maya. We have about 8,000 indigenous Maya patients that we serve now in 19 different villages. We provide the primary care clinics where we see all ages, entire families, For many, many different conditions, we see a lot of diabetes, a lot of hypertension, musculoskeletal issues, and quite a few infections. Our patients live in extreme poverty on about a dollar and a half U.S. a day. They live in dirt floor huts with no running water, no electricity. So you can imagine the parasites, the intestinal worms, none of the water is safe to drink. So they, they come with a variety of presenting symptoms. We also provide cervical cancer screening. It's the number one cause of cancer death in the indigenous Maya woman. We don't do these cytology-based pap smears because we don't have labs. We're up in the mountains with literally nothing. We do a procedure called via cryo, which was developed at Johns Hopkins, who grant from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation about 20 years ago, I believe. And from my research, I've discovered about 25 to 30 low-resource countries are using this method, where we actually bathe the cervix in a 5% acetic acid solution, and the precancerous lesions will turn white in response to that, and we cryotherapy them right off. So they are what we call 
treat them and treat them, these women then will not develop invasive cervical cancer as long as they keep coming and being screened. So these are lives saved, and these women have sometimes 5 to 15 children. So this past month when I was there, we found nine women who were positive with precancerous lesions, and we treated them. How many children now are not going to lose their mother to invasive cervical cancer? So we know we're making a difference. With my undergrad students who don't practice at such an advanced level as my nurse practitioner students, we screen school children probably four to 500 per week that were there in two or three different schools. We screen them for height and weight and do a nutritional assessment. Guatemala is number one in the Caribbean and number four in the world for chronic childhood malnutrition. That means for the first thousand days of life from conception to their second birthday, they are chronically malnourished, which causes a significant physical growth stunting. You might look at a child and think they're six and they're really 10. It also can cause a cognitive stunting, sometimes as many as 15 IQ points, and over 50% of the children in Guatemala are chronically childhood malnourished. So we assess for their height and weight, and now that we've been going so many years to these same schools, we developed their first set of health records on every child in the school when we first started going. None of them had ever had a health record. So now when they come and they hand me their folder, and I open it up and I'll see three, four, five years' worth of greenings, and I can look back at each year and say, okay, this child has only gained a pound in a year. Let's talk about this. Let's bring mom in. Let's talk about what they're eating. So we can actually assess and intervene. We assess them for skin infections. They have lots of tinea or fungal infections, a lot of scabies, you know, burns from falling in the open fire in the home. They cook on open fires typically. We assess their heart and lung sounds. We administer albendazole to all the children because every six months, that is standard protocol, because they mostly have the all have intestinal worms. There's no prophylaxis for that other than education. But if you intervene every six months with the medication, you can keep the worms from doing long-term damage because one dose will kill them. I buy hundreds every trip of toothbrushes and we take donated toothbrushes and toothpaste to the children, and we teach them the proper way to brush their teeth. And lastly, we paint the fluoride varnish on their teeth. The undergrads also provide foot care clinics for those older adults who have diabetes and hypertension. So we're washing their feet. We check their blood sugar and blood pressure first. We wash their feet. We inspect their feet for lesions, for tinea, for diabetic neuropathies, for any infections. We check their pulses, check for edema. And at first, Indian and Maya were a little reluctant to agree to having their feet handled, but now they love it and they line up when they know that we're coming to do a foot care clinic. And lastly, the undergrads also install wood stoves. Every trip, we raise enough money to donate 12 wood stoves, one each to 12 different families. And these wood stoves eliminate that open fire cooking where the smoke accumulates in a small hut because we have a chimney that goes out the top of the hut and it takes the smoke out. With these open fires, we get a lot of people in the clinic that have upper respiratory infections. The children get asthma. They have eye and ear infections from that constant irritation of the smoke. Plus, the wood stove use 70% less wood. So that makes it easier for the woman who has to normally go out and either gather wood or spend a lot of money to buy wood. And it also protects the environment uh, as part of the sustainable development goals from the United Nations that we developed environmentally healthy things too. So 70% less wood means few 
tree is chopped down, less deforestation, which leads to mudslides in rainy season. So these are all of the services we provide. In addition to that, we do a lot of cultural immersion. We meet with the former consulate general of Guatemala every single trip, and they learn a lot about the government, the status of the education, the poverty, and also they go to a healing ceremony with the shaman, the medicine man. We visit women's co-ops to see how the women are getting empowered and they're grouping together in groups and selling their beautiful weavings. The women are incredible weavers and enabling their kids to go to school. So it's really an amazing experience for the students. They all say they are forever changed. That's the benefit while they're in Guatemala. But what happens when they get back? Well, we have almost 2 million Guatemalan immigrants in our backyard. So who's taking care of them? You know, our nurses are taking care of them. And they are able, they tell me in their emails and on social media and when I meet with them after they graduate, they're able to translate what they learned in Guatemala about the healthcare practices of Guatemalan. How, yes, they accept our medicine and our care, but you can also bet they're using their own traditional medicine as well. So our students know this and they're able to really work more closely with these families here in Florida. In fact, the last survey I did of my nurse practitioner students who have graduated, a good 25% of them after graduation have chosen to work with this underserved population as a nurse practitioner. So that is really a satisfying thing to me, knowing that something the students learn in another country can be applied at the point of care right here. You're taking them to old-fashioned baseline human interactions and needs and people who just need to be educated. To say that I applaud you is, is not strong enough. I think it's awesome. And you're teaching your students the other domains of a person's life, empathy. It's it's just not taking blood pressure and getting a blood sugar. It's the whole world in which they live. It's fascinating. In fact, we've developed such a good network. If one of my students sends me a text, quick, I need someone who speaks Ketchikau, because there are 22 to 24 Mayan languages. So not all of our patients even speak Spanish. Some of them speak Ketchikau, Quiche, or Tutuhil. So I can find someone who speaks that by just getting on my student Facebook page and saying, okay, I need someone who speaks Ketchikal, and they can either have a relative or a patient or someone that we can get an interpreter to help this patient. So it's really pretty exciting how it's developing. Do you have much connection to clergy down in Guatemala? I know religion and the church in a lot of South America, in many countries, just not South America, is very powerful. Do you have connections with local clergy? In a way. And you are right. It's very influential. About 80% of the indigenous Maya are Roman Catholic. It's when the Spanish came in and conquered, they converted everyone to Catholicism centuries ago. They do mix Maya beliefs with their Catholicism, so they will still worship the different Maya gods along with worshiping as a Catholic. The local priests in the small towns up in the mountains where we tend to go are pretty powerful. They make the decisions. It's very difficult for us to talk about birth control. Those decisions are made entirely by the man of the house and the priest. So when women come to us wanting Depo-Prover, you know, a birth control shot, we actually have to go find the husband and get their permission. But religion does play a huge, huge part of their life. They're very faithful. Prayer is a very important component of their daily life. So we are very respectful of this and all of the cultural things that we've learned. We're very respectful about it. 
I must applaud my students. I've never seen any of my students be non-caring. Our College of Nursing is quite a unique one, the Christine Elin College of Nursing at SAU. We are one of only 15 certified holistic colleges of nursing in the nation. So we do teach complementary and alternative means of healing, and prayer is certainly one of those that we respect and observe, you know, with our patients and other types of healing are definitely accepted. And we operate from the framework of caring science that makes us stand out just a bit and makes us a little bit different than I think a lot of schools. What do you do? about psychiatric issues, merely statistically it's going to be there, but you're not there long enough to really follow up if you see a psychiatric issue, or is it something just because of the nature of your structure, of your mandate, that you really just don't have the resources to address? Well, you pretty much summed it up. Okay. (laughs) It's a huge problem. Now, let me just, you you said the words follow-up, so let me just briefly touch on that, and then I'll go to the psychiatric issues. A lot of short-term mission trips are coming under fire for just flying in and putting Band-Aids on things and leaving. I don't think that's ethical, so that's not how I I do things. We developed right off the bat a very good follow-up program for our patients that we start on meds, especially those with diabetes and hypertension, and we, we work with three NGOs non-governmental organizations or charitable organizations. It's kind of the equivalent of our 501c3 here. All of them are excellent, very ethical, totally above board, and they have once a month little clinics in these towns where we go where everyone with diabetes or high blood pressure comes, gets their sugar checked, their blood pressure checked, and their meds refilled. So we don't just give them 30 days of meds and then fly out of the country and then leave them stuck. Plus, I won't take third-generation designer drugs from here and give down there. We only give medications that are available in Guatemala so our our patients can get refilled. That's the thing about follow-up I want to be sure of because I, I really have an ethical program. Now, the psychiatric issue is a big problem. You're right. We are not there long enough to really counsel and work with someone, meet with them regularly, and we need that type of help down there. One of our NGOs, People for Guatemala, has opened up a clinic in the vicinity of most of our villages. And it's a beautiful clinic. They do have a psychologist and a social worker on staff there. So at least now we have someone to whom we can refer our patients if they need counseling and help. And we do see a lot of patients who are depressed, a lot. And we don't have the medicine available in our clinic. All we can do is give them a B12 shot and hope hope it makes them feel better. It's really sad. So I've been talking with some of the psychiatric nurse practitioner faculty at my college of nursing, and I've also been talking with some at another college about starting a program where we take psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner students with us. My own daughter is a psych mental health nurse practitioner. So I'd love to take her down there and take some of these other professors down there with their students and really begin a program and to see how we can impact the patients, even if it's just sitting and talking with them and then referring them, but having an initial visit instead of just a referral, I think would be a huge step toward growth in that area. And I would love to provide that for these patients because they're very isolated up in the mountains. The government doesn't care about them. They just don't get the access to care that people who live in the towns and cities and are no longer living an indigenous lifestyle, you know, they have much better access. But our patients up in the mountains don't have it. 
I actually, it's so funny you should ask that because just this week I've talked to several Psych NPs about bringing students down and developing a new program geared toward that. And even if you can just talk to someone once or twice, sometimes that's enough just to take the pressure off and give them a sense of hope. But obviously yeah. it's the, the work is far from done. I'm very impressed by the fact that you do this and it gives them a sense of hope and maybe just a little bit of a notion that they can do something and they're not suffering alone. And these are the little residuals, uh, the legacies, so so to speak, of what you leave with the people there. I could sit and listen to your stories all day long. Unfortunately, the clock does not allow us to do that. Rhonda Goldman is an associate professor of nursing at the Lynn College of Nursing in Boca Raton, Florida, and she has just described a wonderful program reaching out to people, indigenous people and poor people and underserved people in Guatemala. Please do not stop your work. I applaud you. And thank you so much for discussing this and bringing it to our audience. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure.